to see sports primetime on a Monday night from the Superbook Sports Studios. I'm your host, Buck Rising. If you're new to the show, and I'm proud as always to be presented to you by the Ashton Real Estate Group of Remax Advantage. GaryAshton.com is where you go for the Intel edge needed to succeed in this red-hot Nashville real estate market. GaryAshton.com for more information. Superbook Sports where you can go to wager on Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, and everything in between. They'll match your first bet up to $1,000, terms and conditions, at Superbook.com. TrueMav Fitness, a new way to work out and one that you will enjoy. Uh, all kinds of class structures, all kinds of options for however many classes you think you need to get your fitness goals back on track with their exceptional program, TrueMavFitness.com. For your first class free. And Two Rivers Ford, the best place to go for the best car buying experience humanly possible. Mount Juliet is where the dealership is located for the largest selection, one of the largest selections of vehicles in the state. TwoRiversFord.com for more information. So, Titans and Raiders yesterday as we watched the Cowboys and Giants on Monday Night Football, there's a lot of different thing to kind of sift through because immediately when you you know when many of you guys see Caleb Farley in the title uh, as is the case tonight the title of the show there are comments like this Farley is a bust until proven otherwise says Clayton Smith uh Brack uh <laughs> Brack uh I'm assuming it's pronounced Brack cocky <laughs> and just to keep myself safe from uh getting <laughs> caught in a moment that you would forever have on video. I'm going to assume that you pronounce the E at the end of that name. Perhaps I'm mistaken, but I'd rather err on the side of caution. Uh, he says, we got to get a vet corner. And you did. And he got roasted on Sunday by Mac Hollins. Uh, Derek Henry says, Adam Weber looked better because the offensive line performed better. Well, let's start with the defense first because the Caleb Farley situation is unique. I want you to hear Mike Vrabel's, uh, I want you to hear Mike Vrabel's comments on Caleb Farley in two parts uh, because I think when you dive into this and it's a pretty significant exchange the amount of questions about Farley from all different angles is worth digging into a little further is Caleb just not taking stuff from the practice field to games Mike is that is that fair to say you're seeing certain things from him in practice and it's not showing up on game day well I mean I think that there's been some growth there and you know we're going to continue to to give him opportunities and make sure that he's you know ready to go and that he's competing each and every week for for that um, opportunity to play. Uh, continue to help us on special teams and you know we just all have to get comfortable in doing our jobs and making sure that you know we're we're, we're understanding the call, we're understanding what the concept is, what it is that we're trying to get done, uh, and, and whether you're playing a pass rusher, you're playing a inside linebacker or corner and just making sure that you know, whatever that call is that it's getting executed and, and that everybody's focused on doing their job comfortable is it a confidence issue for him in well i mean i can't really speak on anybody's confidence level except for mine uh, that that's not something that that i think it you know that that's for the player to understand and and i we have full confidence in everybody that's here um that you know throughout the course of the th season or even this week that you know, the guys that are here, whether it's on the practice squad or on the active roster, are going to learn a game plan, prepare as a starter, have to go in there. Whether that's Dylan Cole, uh, like he did defensively, or, 
you know, Josh Kalou, who had to go in there, you know, it's some snaps, um, interior defensive linemen. And so that's what we ask everybody to do. What's your evaluation process like, Mike, for that, let's say that position specifically during the course of the week that leads you to, here's the guy we're going to go with? I just wanted to try, you know, I mean, try, try somebody else, try, try somebody new and, and, and give somebody else an opportunity. And that may change this week. That, that's what it was on a short week. And, um, you know, that, that could be something different for this game plan this week. What's the stuff that you look for during the week, though, Mike, as you do about You know, just an overall understanding. You know, we don't have that many reps. You know, Wednesday was a walkthrough. But, you know, there's certainly things that we would look for is, you know, the ability to, to you know, be able to match up, be able to understand what the zone, zone coverage responsibilities are, the ability to play the correct leverage. And those are all things that we look for. So is it more of a technique issue from an individual standpoint or a, a scheme issue of him not maybe all the time carrying out the assignment correctly? And just overall just trying to make sure that everybody's ready to do their, do their job, execute when, they're, when their number's called, um, you know, and, and find ways to help us win. How are you in that process, though, as far as – because I know yesterday you said that you're still looking for guys that can cover. Is that something – We're still looking for guys that can rush and can cover, you know, when, when they do all those things. You know, we're, we're looking for as many guys as we can find, and um, we'll evaluate the, you know, the guys that we have here and try to make the ones that were rushing here and figure out the ones that can cover. And so, you know, each week is going to be something different. So that's Mike Vrabel talking about the circumstance with Caleb Farley. And I think, you know, a lot of people are confused by the notion of, well, could Terrence Mitchell be that much better than Caleb Farley to get roasted the way that he did? I think that, uh, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can look at this, but I mean, you got to take Mike Vrabel at his word. He's not, they're not, he's not saying that they're not comfortable with Caleb Farley out there, but he's saying that. Clearly, the options haven't been good enough, and he just wanted to try something else. Like, he's just looking for other options. And the option that he selected for Sunday's game did not blow up in his face, um, but did not perform nearly well enough to uh, to be in a game like that, especially given the circumstance for Caleb Farley being what it was. Uh, Brent Woods writes on Facebook Live, Farley doesn't look like a number one draft pick and a story. Well, no. I mean, I think the problem, Brent, is he he looks exactly like a number one draft pick, but not in the sense that you mean. Here's the thing. We talk a lot about first-round draft picks and, and how much more you are willing to – how much more you're willing to go for traits over proven skills straight up, if that makes sense. So, Caleb Farley looks like a number one draft pick. He's six foot two. He's got incredibly. He's got incredible length. He's fluid in his movements uh, for somebody who has not played a lot of co- corner. But he's not. You know, he's not a. He's not a contributor. He looks like a first round pick. The play, the performance, is not indicative of somebody who is uh, who's going to be able to get out there on a football field. I mean, this is. You know, it's not that. It's not just that Caleb Farley is uh, is not playing. It's the idea of who's playing above him. In these circumstances, Brian says he's not fluid in his movements. Well, I met, I, sh- I should probably clarify. He, he looks like he has good hip mobility in practice. 
problem is he does not perform with great technique in games. He does not play with physicality the way that the Titans would like him to. If you watched Roger McCreary and Christian Fulton out there, they were flying around. They want the same kind of tenacity from Farley that they're getting in a much better. Caleb Farley is physically like, for those of you who haven't seen Jalen Ramsey or Richard Sherman in person, these long, tall corners who also understand spacing well enough to be able to run with athletes who are running directly in front of them and they have to be able to react. Caleb Farley looks exactly size, traits wise, exactly like those guys. Um, but yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not good at playing corner. He's just an incredibly talented, uh, p- potentially talented player with the traits to be something special. Um, but it hasn't materialized the way that a lot of these things do. I think uh, another good comparison of this would be, you know, like, uh, let's, let's say, let's say Brock Osweiler, right? Brock Osweiler was like six, seven. He was able to, he didn't have, actually, he didn't really have that, that, uh, strong of an arm. Maybe Brock Osweiler is a bad example. Who's the first round pick out of Memphis a couple of years ago that the Broncos took Paxton Lynch, Paxton Lynch, who physically looks like he would be an incredible NFL quarterback. And then he stinks, you know, he's just not, he's just not good. Um, I don't know that Caleb Farley is, I don't know that Caleb Farley is like a wash, but I know he's not a corner, uh, good enough to play in their system right now, unless injury forces their hand. And that's exactly the circumstances that he has played under at this point. So your two rivers for take, it's rare that we get 11 minutes into the show before we do the two rivers for take, but nonetheless, let's do the two rivers for take the question that I want to ask you on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch is quite simply this of Caleb Farley and the situation with the Titans and Mike Vrabel as the head of the coaching staff. What does it say about cornerback Caleb Farley that he only logged the one defensive snap against the Raiders? If you recall, that one defensive snap came because Christian Fulton had a cramp and they had to throw him out there. As soon as Fulton was fine, Farley came off the field. So what does it say about him? We'll talk about it together right after I tell you. The Two Rivers Ford is the place that you go, not just for the best car buying experience, but for great guarantees that not many businesses, no matter what the industry, businesses are very loath to offer guarantees these days, especially when you cannot predict rate hikes in the future it's like you need uh it's like you need a crystal ball well two rivers ford is going to take the guesswork out of it for you uh and make sure that you have a situation uh and make sure that you have a situation that is going to be tenable for you they are going to when you pre-order a 2023 model year ford Two Rivers Ford is going to lock you in at a great rate, 2.9% APR for 60 months for all qualified buyers. They'll also give you $500 bonus cash on top of their already low prices. The best prices, guaranteed rates at a locally owned dealership with non-commissioned salespeople. Two Rivers Ford is the best for a reason. Check out the dealership in Mount Juliet or online at tworiversford.com. So what does it say about Caleb Farley? at this point, that uh, he can't get on the field for this defense. Uh, Sam Cardenas says, makes an interesting comment. He says, the coaching staff is trash. Well, 
I would disagree with that notion. Trash seems strong. I think that there are some limitations of this coaching staff, uh, Mike Vrabel included, but I think on the whole that Mike is obviously hugely successful for a reason. Um, he is a uh, he is somebody who clearly understands that uh, he clearly understands the league. I think uh, that any you know I don't know Sam if you're also somebody who thinks that Todd Downing is like public enemy number one because if you are somebody like that then I can't reason with you because of course you're uh, you're not you're not really paying attention to the deeper rooted issues. It can be that the coaching staff is not like overwhelmingly great. Like Mike Vrabel is the defending coach of the year, yes, but. You know, that means only a certain amount. And it's a great accomplishment by him, one that he earned. But, uh, you know, I think that you look at the coaching staff, you, you're just looking for somebody to blame. And when you don't understand what's going on, who do you blame? Well, you blame the most front-facing people in the organization, which is typically the coaching staff. Uh, I'm not saying that the coaching staff does not have flaws. I think there are some clear and obvious flaws uh, because there are, you know, there is a, there is a lack of adjustments, certainly, that seem to come up beyond the initial game plan. But I wish I could tell you what those adjustments or lack thereof are. We're not in the locker rooms at halftime to know how they're necessarily going about that from a week-to-week basis. But uh, I think that uh, I think the coaching staff is far from far from a problem um, right now, really, including Todd Downing for as much heat as. A lot of people seem interested in sending his way. Will Tennessee goes to the other extreme. He says the general manager is trash. I think the general manager is not as good as the coaching staff. Um, I think that the coaching staff has covered up a lot of the misses by the general manager and the scouting staff at this point. It is uh, it is something that I think it is something that I think has expedited the problem. At this point, uh, big time Timmy Tay on Twitch says Buck Todd Downing is obviously a terrible play caller. There's no getting around that. Well, that's not true. I mean, he's not obviously a terrible play caller. You are uh, three for three in scripted offensive drives, scoring on your first drive. They scored touchdowns on three straight drives to open the game. I cannot explain the set. Well, I can't explain. I can go drive by drive with you and explain how they did not score a point in the second half and how that has precious little to do with the play calling. Uh, but listen, like I said, if you're somebody who hates Todd Downing, there's nothing I'm going to say to be able to, it doesn't matter how many different logical explanations I provide to you, you're going to think the way that you do. And I'm not out here trying to change minds. I'm just providing you more information for you to make your own assessments. And if you do not accept that information on the front end, you're entitled to your opinion regardless. It is a wrong opinion, but you're entitled to your opinion. All I can do is try to explain it to you. Anyway. Uh, Lamar Daniel says, yeah. And what happened in the second half buck? Well, let me, shall I walk you through what happened in the second half since we're doing this? No, I won't because we have the tale of two halves to get to, and that's the whole second segment. So let's not blow the second segment before I tell you about the fine folks at the Ashton real estate group of Remax advantage. GaryAshton.com is where you go for your dream address without the stress. That's how you, uh, that's how you get the Intel edge you need to succeed. From the Ashton team, Gary Ashton understands the Nashville real estate market, just like we're doing Titans Intel tonight. Gary understands the real estate market, the real estate landscape to put you in a position to succeed, to get your dream address without the stress or sell your home for more. Go to GaryAshton.com for more information. Um, so, uh, so somebody asked, forgive me, I lost the comment about what happened in the second half. So let's go drive by drive, shall we? If you want to do this, we'll do this. 
And you can tell me how much of this is on play calling decisions. So as I look at the drive chart for the Titans, they had, let's see, 10 total drives. The Raiders had nine throughout the course of this game. So as I look at the first half, touchdown, 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 punt, field goal. So 24 points. Only the Eagles scored as many points as the Titans did in the first half. You get to the second half. There's the interception, which is on both Tannehill and Robert Woods, not the play-calling mistake. There's the turnover on downs. Well, uh, that was set up in a situation where they had a third and one. They lost three yards. They went for it on fourth and three. The fourth and three play call was fine. Tannehill threw it behind Woods. Woods had to kind of make a weird adjustment. Drop pass, turnover on downs. That's an execution problem. Uh, there are two punts in the interim um, for the Titans who are not able to muster anything beyond three minutes and 14 seconds of possession. So that, I think you could pick apart the plays in the, what is that, the third, second half, uh, the third drive in the second half when Derek Carr throws the interception to Kevin Byard, which helped save the game. Uh, and then you have a situation where in the uh, in the two-minute drill or as the game is starting to wind down, there's about 329 left on the clock. They are forced into a situation where they have to punt. They run three plays. They lose uh, a yard. There are penalties associated with that. Again, I would say that comes down to execution. And then the final drive of the game was simply victory formation. So uh, I think that the second half is certainly questionable. Um, but it's not all on the play calling. Like, I think you have to look at the, I think people try to lump the results of all three weeks together too much. I think you got to look at each individual game. Uh, there is so many different, there are so many different things that go into these decisions that you have to assess each and every one. Uh, Jay Tyra says Burke's drop. Uh, go look at the pass. The, the pass, I, I put the drop more on Tannehill, who I thought was great, by the way. Um, I put the drop more on Tannehill than I do on Burks because the ball was not well thrown to Burks. Now, I have to go back and look at the pressure on that situation to see if there was something else that caused Ryan Tannehill to misfire, but the ball was certainly thrown behind. Uh, the ball was certainly thrown behind Burks in a way that made it far easier for him to drop that pass as opposed to leading him the way that he needed to. Uh, so, Byard saved the game is right. Byard and Dylan Cole uh, at the end with the two-point conversion stop that they were able to hang on it uh big time Timmy Tay says that was Burks who dropped that yes Burks so Burks did have the drop but again the ball was thrown behind Traylon Burks by Ryan Tannehill so that's I mean that's drive by drive right so are you looking at that and saying are you looking at that and saying yeah it's a uh it's a situation where they're back again I don't think that they're great offensively don't mistake me when I say that Todd Downing is not an overwhelming issue to say that it is good enough. 57 to 7 is the statistic that they are being outscored by in the second half. It is atrocious, atrocious to this point. But I will say to you that it is not all on execution. It's not all, all on play calling. There's a variety of different combinations of things, factors. There's too many working parts on a football team. And I feel like, like, I hate that if I sound like I'm in reruns. Because I feel like I've said this a million one times, but damn it, I'm going to keep saying it until somebody starts to, you know, until until more people start to absorb it. There are so many working parts on a football, on every football play, that it is impossible to determine one one 
thing, clearly, on every play that went wrong or that went right. There are a multitude of factors that come into play that either cause a successful play or cause a failed play. And I think to put it on one person, one unit, one whatever, because that's the easiest thing to do, I think it's lazy. I really, really think it's lazy. Uh, Ben Hall, I agree with you. Ben Hall on YouTube says, I'm so tired of blaming one singular person every time a football game goes poorly. I just think that it is, uh, I just think that it is so much, uh, I think it is so much of, it gets lost in the shuffle. So if I have to repeat it a million times, I'll repeat it a million times until more people, you know, start to (laughs) legitimately consider all the things that happen in a football play. And by the way, if they don't produce, like, that's the end result. If they don't produce, it's not good enough. They produced on Sunday. It didn't finish as strongly as you would have liked it to, and the defense certainly added to the stressors, but they produced enough to win a football game. So at the end of the day, there are going to be adjustments that are made game to game and based on opponent and things like that, that they can certainly do better. But three straight touchdowns to open a game is not like, it's not... It's not irrelevant. You can't wash away the first half results just because you're pissed off about the second half results, even though, again, that is easy to do. John Flanagan says, okay, rising, he says, just the last name, rising. Okay, Flanagan. Uh, (laughs) Who is responsible for the execution of the offense and offensive line? The players. The players are responsible for the execution. Like, Todd Downing can't make Dennis Daly block better. You know, like Dennis Daly's got to do that. Todd Downing can't make uh, Todd Dan, Todd, uh, excuse me, Todd Downing can't make Derrick Henry run harder. Derrick's got to do that. You know, like who does execution down? I, I, I don't know if that was meant to be a rhetorical question, Flanagan, but who is responsible for execution? The players are responsible for the execution. The coaches are responsible for the game plan. Uh, there, there are, there are some carryover, some tangible effect. Yes. But I think again, it is, uh, I think it is again, a, uh, a really, really simplistic way to go through these things anyway, uh, because like, is Todd Downing getting credit for Ryan Tannehill looking good? No, Todd Downing, Ryan Tannehill is getting all the credit for Ryan Tannehill looking good. I think Ryan Tannehill and Todd Downing have a successful, understanding of one another that allows Ryan Tannehill to play well within the system. And he has done so through these three, three games, but that's not a convenient thing to talk about. So people move on and say, fire the coach. I'm not saying that coaches don't deserve to be fired. I'm not out here caping up for coaches because coaches can be stubborn assholes too. Like (laughs) there's, there's, in fact, there's far more stubborn assholes in coaching than there are reasonable uh, and diplomatic individuals, right? These guys are control freaks. They're insane. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying be better in the analysis before you rush to rash assessments and call for a man's job when you really don't have all the information uh, at your disposal. <laughs> you know, Chad, Chad Caldwell makes a comment that is my version of Todd Downing. Buck is a hater and is Andrew Luck in disguise. Yes, you caught me. You're on to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, Colts week is coming up, so you better hope you, better hope you don't piss me off because I'll have some bad, bad Andrew Luck juju uh, to send your way, the ghost of Andrew Luck that haunts this franchise, retiring 11-0 um, against the Tennessee Titans. Anyway, all right, let's move on uh, and talk and get your assessment of these tale of two halves because I think there is some interesting stuff to dive into. The question that I would like to ask you is this. 
Uh, what is the biggest difference in the Titans offense in the first half and the second half? We went drive by drive. I gave you all the information. There's more that we can get into, and we'll hear from Mike Vrabel more momentarily. Uh, right after, uh, right after I tell you um, about the fine folks at True Mav Fitness, a new way to work out, a better way to work out can be found for you at True Mav Fitness. They have incredible offerings. The classes are about 40 to 45 minutes, depending on what you do. Monday is full body with a focus on lower body. The classes are conveniently timed. You can schedule them through the Mind Body app. You can sign up for a membership that gets you unlimited classes. You can select your options basically as a menu on what fits your lifestyle. They also have an open gym concept that is available as well as personal training. Your first class is free at True Math Fitness, conveniently located in downtown Nashville in the Gulch. Find out more information and sign up for your first free class at TrueMathFitness.com. So, difference between first-half offense and second-half offense. What do you see at this point? Uh, Caleb Hubman says, LOL, lecturing us on calling for Todd's job when Austin has basically been doing that the past two weeks is hilarious. Well, Austin's wrong. Like, I don't do a show with Austin. I don't know what Austin said about Todd Downing. Austin, I, I'm happy to have this conversation with Austin. Zach, uh, you know, Charlie Burris, who is out of his damn mind every time the Titans do something. Charlie's been trying to fire Mike for Mike Rabel for three years. He's, you know, I love Charlie. Charlie cracks me up. I think he does a great job with Crompton on the Vols show. Charlie's also batshit insane when it comes to the assessment of coaching staffs because he's a Tennessee fan and he's been dealing with battered Vol syndrome for far too long. He's a little gun shy when it comes to coaches and how quick he is to pull the rug out from under them. So, yes, I'm lecturing you. I'm lecturing Austin. I'm lecturing everybody. I do a solo show. I got I got to lecture somebody, baby. Otherwise, I'm just going to be sit here, sitting here, hanging out with the two cats in the office and talking you through basically doing a Manning cast of a terrible Monday night football game. Pick pick your battles. All right, Caleb. <laughs> uh, so what's the uh, what is the uh, what is the biggest uh, what is the biggest uh, difference between the Titans offense in the first half? and the Titans' offense in the second half. Let's discuss it at length together. I think there's a lot of different things that you can look at. The execution and finishing out drives with points, says Justin Simmons. Yes, I think that's the, that's, I think that's the thing that you boil it down to the most. Now, again, I'm not saying that Todd Downing is the greatest play caller to ever live. He's probably not going to be, you know, you've had two straight offensive coordinators go on to be head coaches in the NFL. He's probably not that guy. Right, it's like that meme. You're not that guy, pal, and that's cool because you can still find ways to to make an offense work if Derrick Henry is going to perform the way that he does, and if the offensive line blocks the way that they do. They looked like the Titans again on Sunday, certainly in the first half. So I think that uh, I think that the the talent disparity is clear on the roster. I think that those limitations can be exposed at any point by any team just as they can be for the Chiefs, who got got by the Colts on Sunday, just as they can be for the Chargers, who got smoked by the Jags. Speaking of uh, cat intruders, we have an intruder across the screen. It's like a, it's like Jaws. She just drifted under the camera there, all of a sudden on the desk, like I'm not doing a show here. Thank you, Francis, for all of your great work. Uh, I, will, I will say of the... Uh, Reed just got his head in his hands because this is such... Reed is producing this show, and it is a uh, 
it is a mess every time we try to do it. But I think that the it, it honestly comes down to the execution. Now, here's what I'll say. The biggest indictment of Todd Downing um, and I think Mike Vrabel, as far as an offensive philosophy, conservative, very, very conservative approach in the second half. That's how they typically like to play. They are trying to protect their lead as opposed to expand their lead. In fact, I think it's one of the biggest flaws that they have. If you're looking for criticisms of Todd Downing and also by nature of philosophical approaches and tendencies, Mike Vrabel, I think that the conservatism in the second half is a massive hindrance for them. Like I said, the ski, everybody runs the same plays. Maybe Todd has, uh, maybe, t- I mean, people are losing their minds at Josh McDaniels. Uh, there are all kinds of offensive coordinators in the league who are catching flack because offenses aren't performing exactly the way that you want to. And everybody's got opinions on social media, which is great because it keeps me in business. But uh, I think that the conservative approach in the second half is as big a reason as the stall, as was the execution um, at that point. Uh, has Todd Downing ever made an in-game adjustment ever, says Caleb Hubman. Well, the, I think their adjustment is, hey, let's play safe. Let's let's protect the football. Let's let's kill the clock. Let's run another. I mean, their opening drive was seven minutes and 38 seconds. They killed half the first quarter running a 12-play, 75-yard drive to get them down the field and to score the first touchdown with Jeff Swaim. So I think their in-game adjustments – in-game adjust- See, it's always funny to listen to Blaine Bishop, uh, who I do the, the pregame show, and obviously I work at the same radio station as Blaine. Uh, he and Mickey Ryan have the show on Aftermind on weekdays. Because uh, Blaine talks about in-game adjustments as a player, and he's like, yeah, there are no in-game adjustments if you're winning in the first half. And then the other team adjusts, and you get got because they've figured it out. Now, I'm sure it's not as blanket statement as all that, but Blaine would have better perspective than any of us. And I here's here's the thing about in-game adjustments. I don't know what they're doing in the locker room at halftime. They're never going to tell us that. Like, never. We're not going to have access to those conversations. So, yes, the criticism, again, it comes back to easy and lazy analysis. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying, I'm not calling it, well, I am calling it lazy analysis, only by nature of you don't know. Like, there's no quantifiable evidence for you to say, okay, Todd Downing made X, Y, and Z adjustment in the first half from the second half. Now, what I can ask Greg Cosell for you on Wednesday is, did he notice any schematic adjustments from first half to second half? Bring you back that analysis and have somebody with informed uh, informed opinions on this by nature of tape study tell us exactly what it is that we're seeing, which is great. We love that. Uh, so, as far as uh, as far as what you are looking at with the Tennessee Titans on offense and defense, I do think that there is a conservatism that really limits what they're able to do. And uh, and Mike Vrabel talking about the offense, uh, the difference in first half versus second half today in his press conference on uh, at St. Thomas Sports Park. You look back at the, the tape from the offensive standpoint, very happy with what you saw in the first half and then second half I only, only had four possessions. What are some things you could clean up there to maybe to help moving forward? Well, making sure, you know, we had the, we had the turnover, uh, which was, you know, unfortunate. You know, I think some of the, the gains and the runs that we had, you know, in the, in the first half, um, you know, probably weren't there, you know, for, you know, whether it's one guy here or our pressure, 
but we had some opportunities. Um, you know, felt like we, we could have got the screen going again. We had success with that uh, in the first half. Um, you know, wasn't able to get Nate out, you know, for obvious reasons. If you watch, you know, how they, how they played him, not allowing him to get to the backer. Um, and the conversions, you know, we had some really cool um, third down conversions in the first half and, and weren't able to get it, you know, third and one. You know, we didn't get many people blocked on, on that one. You know, and then just really just making sure that you know we're better in four minute there at the end. I thought thought the way that we finished the first half was was three critical points. When you look at defensively getting a stop, uh, stopping the clock, twenty yard return. You know, Caleb Farley did a nice job of getting to the second level. Robert does what what we ask every returner to do is make the first guy miss. I uh, did a fantastic job with that. Uh, twenty one yards in midfield, uh, twenty one seconds. You know, the two timeouts. You know, Nick sitting down, catching a contested pass, Ryan being decisive with it, um, you know, and then getting the extra yards that we needed and, and Randy coming through with a big kick. So those, those were three critical points. You know, I think we all just have to, you know, make a few, few more plays offensively and defensively in, in special teams in the second half there. We, we had opportunities um, in all three phases. So that's Mike Vrabel talking about the difference between first and second half offense. Um, Buck says William Young. Some reason the Titans start turning for some reason the Titans start turning over the uh, turning the ball over the second half in all three games. You know, I I almost eliminate Buffalo from all the analysis on this because Buffalo was just like everybody lost, like everybody got their asses kicked, everybody was terrible, like it was just a complete and total failure on all fronts, and you kind of got to. Like, you can't flush it because it's on your record no matter what, and it's an AFC loss, so it may hover over you in the balance as you compete for playoff seeding if you are, in fact, going to be competitive down the stretch. We're only in week three, remember. Um, I, think that there's a, I think that there's a lot of different things that you can find because, yes, they did turn the ball over against Buffalo in the second half, but that's because Tannehill's chasing. Um, and there were just, I mean, there was, there was too many missed opportunities that led it to kind of snowball on them. In the uh, where was the turnover in the second half of the Giants game? Was there a turnover? Tannehill did not have an interception in that game. Was there a fumble that I don't remember? Uh, I uh, 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 Reed is Reed is saying that uh, you're making a motion like a catch. Reed, you just want to put put yourself on camera instead of gesturing and putting hand, making hand signals at me. What are you trying to say to me? I was trying to make sure it was the muffed punt in the second half of the Giants the muffed game. Muffed punt is correct. Thank you. That I, I thought you were I thought you were saying that he secured the catch as opposed to muffing the punt. But yes. <laughs> I, this means punt, you know, that's what I was going with. So, you know, that's I was trying to trying to do that. But thank you for allowing me to come on and explain that yes, that was the second half turnover. All right, back to the shadows. Producer Reed, everybody. Um <laughs> so yes, the muffed punt uh was there in the second half of the Titans game against the Gi the Giants and then the interception by Tannehill. Also, I think equally on Robert Woods in that situation, just a miscommunication between the two players on where he was supposed to be, where Woods was supposed to be when Tannehill threw the ball uh, preemptively. So uh, I think that uh, I think there's a lot of different things. But again, each turnover, like all interceptions are not created equal. All turnovers are not created equal. So I think they are individual plays. This is why coaches, you know, do things 
like insane people like sleep in the facility during the week because they're trying to prepare for every possible situation in any possible circumstance with any number of factors that come into play. And of course you can't because there's too many unpredictable parts of a football game. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's talk about the craziest overreactions that we have seen in week three of this season so far, three weeks in through the first month because the next time games will be played, there will be a Thursday night game still played in September, and then by Sunday it will officially be October for every other NFL team other than the Thursday night. I think Bengals are the Bengals in the white uniforms are one half of the Thursday night football matchup. I'm not sure who they are playing this week. But I think, uh, I think as you look at the overreactions at this point, you, uh, you have to say, okay, are the Jags really Bengals and Dolphins? That's a really good game, as a matter of fact. The Bengals, who were kind of the Cinderella last year, and the Dolphins, who are projecting as the only AFC undefeated team right now as uh, one of the more exciting teams, potentially this year's Bengals. So what's the biggest overreaction that you've seen? We'll talk about it together on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. Right after I remind you that the place that you go to wager on all the action this football season is Superbook Sports. If you are trying to get one over on Vegas, Superbook Sports is the place that you can go. They will help you get in on all the action with their easy, clean, simple-to-use app. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No, no fancy computer algorithms, no guys from across the pond setting lines for American sports, just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at the Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets anywhere. So download the app. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com, as I mentioned. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-889-9789. So, what's the biggest overreaction that you've seen? Uh, Darren says the Eagles are the team to beat in the NFC. They certainly look like it through three weeks. Uh, Three weeks is, again, a small sample size, but we have the first month basically in hand for everybody but the Dolphins and the Bengals. So I don't, I mean, the Eagles certainly through September look like the best team in the NFC. They're decidedly better than the Giants or the Cowboys in their own division. Washington looks a mess. Uh, Carson Wentz was a nightmare on Sunday, uh, it sounds like. You look at the, uh, you look at some of the overreactions, the AFC West losing three, nothing against the AFC South, which is a terrible division by any standard. Then all of a sudden they have wins over the Raiders, Chiefs and Chargers all in one Sunday sweep. Uh, Robert Glenn says uh, that Lamar is going to break the bank is a big overreaction. Well, not unless he gets hurt. Lamar looks incredible right now. I think I think it's a, I think it's a, in fact, I think the biggest overreaction um, is to assume that Lamar is not going to break the bank because he is by any metric a more successful quarterback than Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, uh, a lot of these guys who have gotten considerable extensions to this point he does not have the Super Bowl he does not have the playoff resume but he is certainly an MVP and looks to be another one at this point Gino says uh Bucky has said the South was easily the worst division he was wrong be accountable Bucky um well Gino in your all caps uh I'm not wrong they are still the worst division in football there is no question and yes they did have a good weekend because Things happen in professional sports, and as I mentioned, any weakness at any point on any team can be exposed. And it just so happened that the AFC South 
did well in exposing some weaknesses with the AFC West. Does not mean that it means for the rest of the season that the AFC South is going to be better or like better than the AFC West. Of course, that's ridiculous based on just how these two teams, how these two different divisions and these teams and these divisions are structured. So I would say to you, that is a horrendous overreaction. Uh, it is really, really tough. Uh, ben Hall says, Gino, easy with the caps button, my guy. Yeah, it's really just hammering on that. <laughs> just imagine Gino just hammering on the keyboard every time he types. It cannot be good for your laptop. Uh, okay, but what is the biggest overreaction that I've seen? Listen, two and one for the Jags is a good start, and I love my buddy Cam, uh, my buddy Cam Wolf at the NFL Network. But when I heard this clip on his Twitter timeline today about the Jags and how good a start that they're off to, with the context that it gave, I had to laugh out loud to myself. How about Trevor Lawrence getting his first road win as Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback in his 10th start? The only other quarterback who has done that after nine straight road losses, Peyton Manning. And don't look now. These aren't Urban Meyer's Jags. These are Doug Peterson's Jags. Two and one leading the AFC South so far. And look, Jags. The last time they've led the, the division this late in the season, 2017, that Saxonville team. So I'm not saying book your playoff tickets. Doesn't hurt to pee. But you're saying it. Cam said the last time it was this late in the season and they were leading the division, they went to the uh, they went to the AFC Championship game, which is not inaccurate, but also like they're two and one. <laughs> it's, it's a little premature. By the way. I think the Jags are fun. Like, I think Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker are a problem. And I think that Trevor Lawrence, with turns out competent coaching, is going to turn out to be a really, really fun player. I'm sure you hate that in the AFC South. Uh, I personally root for the fun players to have successful careers um, because, I, you know, it doesn't make any difference to me whether the Jags beat the Titans in, a, in an AFC South game other than to talk about it and to, you know, compare and contrast how one is built versus the other. But I do think that it is a little, uh, it is a little early in the season to be having such discussions, even as I think the Jags are totally capable of winning this division, totally capable of winning this division. Um, but of course there are so many, as, as we said, it's only one month into the season. And there's a lot more weeks of football to go. There's not a lot more time of this show to go though, because that's going to do it for us tonight. Radio show is going to be a lot of fun. Adam Sparks of the Knoxville New Sentinel. We'll talk about the Vols coming off a big win against the Gators. Now heading into a bye. The status of Cedric Tillman and much, much more. Also some Titans discussion as well. So we hope to see you from 10 to 1 on 104.5 The Zone. If I don't catch you there, I'll see you tomorrow night on A to Z Sports Primetime. Have a great rest of your evening. There's All right, we haven't scored a point since I came in here. I am gone, guys. What? what that's but, it? But we got a couple more questions. No, All that's right. it. <laughs> Peace out by the GM. <laughs>